All right. I'm going to sit right here and look. No. Okay. Hopefully everything works back here. Hopefully. All right. Gospel of John. Gospel of John. The last couple of weeks, the uh, Bible study exercises have been in the Gospel of John. Last week was all John chapter 13, 14, and 15 doing chapter summary methods. And a lot of people did the work and sent it in and everybody did a good job. Uh, this week, what we're supposed to be looking at is John chapter 15, verses 18 to 27, and chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. And uh, we're really focusing this week not so much on like doing a chapter summary method. We are looking this week, and hang on, give me one second. I'm going to make sure everything is good to go here. All right, we'll see if... Uh, we, hopefully we don't lose any internet connection or anything. Something weird's going on back there. But we'll, hopefully everything is good. But uh, this week, if you were to open uh, the curriculum, well, the first thing you would see, which I mean, you would get the title. But if you don't look at the title, what's interesting is what you see is passports, a notebook underneath the passports, and then clearly they're laying on top of a map, which is kind of an interesting image. So we have passports and a map. So what, what does this week have to do, what does that have to do with John 15 and John 16? All right, well, if you go to John chapter 15 and start in verse 18, you're going to get the, the kind of the clue or kind of the interpretation. John 15 verse 18, what do we read in John 15, 18? If the world, stop right there. So clearly the passports and the map is there to represent what? the world, and that if you have a map and passports that you clearly live and move around where? In the world. So, we live in the world, and if, if the world, what? Hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. The picture in the curriculum is trying to indicate it doesn't matter where we go in the world, that we will find ourselves time and time again being what? Hated by that world because we are in it, but we are not of it. And not being of it, you are rejected, all right? It doesn't take long to figure this out, right? You can you can be in school for five minutes and you will figure out if you're not of them, if you don't go along with their rules and follow along, you either have to conform and fit in, and if you don't conform and fit in, then you are cast out. You are rejected. That's just the way it works. For some weird reason, anything different, anything not following what we're doing, we immediately reject and hate. Well, it's the same thing it plays out in the Christian's life. We live in a world where we don't fit in. Different morality, different purpose, different everything. Therefore, places us as being targets of this. So this week, for the Bible study exercise, we're looking at a life of persecution, and we're studying the subject of persecution. All right? So that's what this entire week's Bible study exercise is on. Really a topic, but the text is John 15, 18 to 27, and John 16, 1 through 4. We'll read that specifically. But this is what uh, the assignments I gave everyone, whether you participate or not, you're going to participate tonight because you're here. 
All right, so you'd have no choice. So we're going to start this week off really doing a lot of the work for everyone. All right, so everyone's going to have to pay me for that. Okay, but we will we will see how far we can get. So here's what we've done. The text again for this week. Or let me say this: the topic is what for this week? Persecution. The text is what? John fifteen eighteen to twenty seven and John sh- chapter sixteen verses one through. Four, right? That's the topic. That's the text. Here is the phrase that I gave everyone to write down and to really focus on and think about all this week. All right? And that is this phrase. Living like Jesus, right, means being treated as he was. Living a life like Jesus means being treated as he was. And, this is what the curriculum leaves out, and responding as he did. Living like Jesus means being treated as he was and responding as he did. The reason I added the last part is over the last few years, we've heard a lot of Christians yell and scream that we're being persecuted, we're losing our religious freedom, it's the end of the world, and their solutions, or their rhetoric, or their attitude, and many times does not reflect anything that would even come close to how Jesus responded to being hated. In fact, in John 15, It connects our hate with what? Go back to John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So the hatred we receive is connected with the hatred he received. So we have to learn how to deal with the hatred we receive and the way he dealt with the hatred he received. Does that make sense? Christians love to talk about persecution, but they seem to never have a, well, at least it feels in modern times, a complete, like, I don't know. It's like, we're being persecuted. That's in the Bible. Now let's let's respond this way. And you're kind of like, well, but but wait, 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 wait. That's not what that says. So that's what we're going to figure out. So again, what is the phrase? Living like Jesus means being treated as he was and responding as he did. So that means there's a lot to figure out. So here's what we're going to do. We have four things we're going to try to do, and we're not going to even come close to doing these. All right, here we go. Everybody have their Bible. Go to John 13. John 13. Okay. John chapter 13. Everybody there? We're going to look from John 13 to John 16. We're going to look in John 13. We're going to look in John 14. We're going to look in John 15. And we're going to look in John 16. And here's what you need to start working on, okay? I need you to note anything and everything you see in regards to the topic of love. I know you're going to be like, wait a minute. You just said the entire week is about persecution But I think love becomes absolutely critical when dealing with persecution, and you'll see that. So we'll start in John 13. All right, everybody ready? Everybody start in John 13? It's not going to take long, is it? We're in verse 1. 
chapter 13. And what do we learn in regards to the, what do we see in regards to the topic of love in verse 1? Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, we can give away the plot a little bit here. What is, what is significant about that verse and what is significant about that concept of love as mentioned in 13.1 when it comes to the subject of persecution? He loves two individuals that are going to mention in chapter 13. What are two, who are two individuals mentioned in chapter 13? Find them in the chapter and give me the verse that mentions their name. All right, well, there you go. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. All right. So Jesus is going to love his own all the way to the end. Now, some will say, well, was Judas his own? Well, he's going to still continue to treat him. In a, uh, well, you're going to see something he does for him, right? Here in a little bit. Yes? Okay. All right. In fact, does Jesus wash his feet? Uh, you tell me. You get the, it's open book. He begins to wash the disciples' feet, right? Indicating that it seems that he does what? Washes all their feet. Right? So, in a sense, we have a betrayer mentioned. Who else is mentioned in the chapter? After the betrayer is mentioned. Peter is mentioned, right? And what is Peter going to do? Deny him three times, yet Jesus what? We definitely, there's no question... Loved him until the end. Demonstrating that those who betrayed him, those who denied him, Jesus still showed love too. That immediately connects love with persecution in a roundabout way. What do we have a tendency to do with those who would betray us or those who would deny us, or de, would, well, in a sense deny us, put it say, hurt us, leave us, not stay with us? We would get very upset and hurt, and many cases do what? Lash out? Speak about? We would, we would find some way. So immediately we see that the concept of love here is super important, yes? Right? What else do we have in chapter 13 that may indicate or be connected with the concept of love, even if it doesn't use the word? The washing of the feet. What does that indicate? A, a serving kind of love, yes? That he is serving, he is humbling himself and serving even those who would betray and deny. All right? Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, the whole picture in John 13, as we've already studied, remember the whole picture of the washing of the feet serves as a, a parable, right? And what does it demonstrate? Here's Christ in heaven with glory, with the Father, sets aside his glory, takes on the form of a servant to give his life to die so that after dying, he then can take upon his glory and return to the Father. That all shows the incarnation and shows, in a sense, Philippians chapter 2, humbling himself and taking on the form of a servant and dying. 
Well, how, what does that demonstrate? Well, let's go through this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It shows Christ's love as a sacrificial love even for those who don't deserve it. Now, I just, I just find it interesting... And the reason I'm really emphasizing this, a lot of times when Christians hear persecution, what words are not usually connected with it? Love of those who persecute us. We call them names, we mock them, we want them voted out of office, blah, 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 blah. We sound like that we, you know, that we get our t- marching orders from, you know, talk radio, political talk radio instead of from the Bible. That's not the way Christians are supposed to respond. I've talked about it before, listening to American Family Radio, and if they talk about anyone who's a Democrat, they, they'll, they'll give them their, they'll call them names. Mock them. Well, that's not a Christian way of handling it. And to, and to say that, you're almost like, you're a liberal. It has nothing to do with being a liberal. It's called, it's, a, it's in the Bible. Okay, it's in the Bible. Does that make sense? All right. So, what else do we have in the chapter connected to love? What else do we have in chapter 13? Oh, where is it? John chapter 13. What verse? 34. Little children, verse 33. Yet a little while, I am with you, you will seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot go. Now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Let me make it very clear. The new commandment part is the fact that now he is the standard of the kind of love we're supposed to have. I am to love others as Christ loved me. Now just think about it. Are you, do you sin against him? Do you betray him? Do you deny him? Are you unfaithful to him? You're all of those things. Yet he continues to love you. How am I to love others? In the exact same way. You can't remove the subject of love from the subject of persecution. All right? Right, uh, okay, someone asked the question, um, are we to practice washing the feet of one another? If Jesus said to do this to one another. Uh, the, as we've, we talked about in our, in our first study of John 13, this, the whole thing about the washing of the feet, it's, an exa- it's a parable. It's a parable of the incarnation. The example Jesus is demonstrating is that we are to do what to one another? Serve one another, love one another. That it's a serving kind of love. Right, washing of feet would mean very little in 2022. With um, now, if you live in a culture where no one has shoes, then maybe it would be of, of great significance. The thing is, not a symbolic one once a year. You have a couple of men stand up in the front of the of the church and sit in a chair, and then someone kneels down and washes his feet. That's a that's a symbol. But Jesus is talking about serving, serving. Serving, because as, as a parable, all right? All right, so... You know, like you say, in today's day, we don't necessarily need our feet washed, but we might need a ride to work. Or, right, exactly. Or may need my car washed, right? Yeah. There's a number of... May need your house clean. There's a million of other things that you can do for someone. Far better than having a once-a-year service where you wash your feet. I know churches who do that, but it's just kind of like, you know, it's almost like this. Oh, look, 
We showed everyone's washing their feet. And then someone will be like, man, this week we're having a hard time buying groceries. Well, we'll pray for you. Uh, what, that, what, what just happened here? Yeah, you, you did a great job pretending. See, it's one thing to pretend to serve by just doing a symbolic gesture. It's another thing to actual serve. Right. It, yeah, it, it's just, it, well, I think even the, and the time it was symbolic. And the reason I know it's symbolic because Jesus explained that they didn't know what I, you don't know what I'm doing. They didn't understand it. Now that we understand what he's doing, makes perfect sense. Because what do you mean you don't know what I'm doing? You're, you're, you're washing our feet. No, I'm trying to demonstrate something bigger. It's a parable. Okay. Anything else about love in the chapter? Yeah, 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 Peter's like, hey, hey, I'm willing to die. And that doesn't play out so much. All right, I think we got most everything in chapter 13, right? Agreed? All right, chapter 14. What else do we have about love in chapter 14? All right, this, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, how would this apply to persecution? How do we... Think of it this way. How do we respond to persecution if we love Jesus? I'm trying to... Thank you. According to his commandments. How do we respond to persecution? According to his commandments, if we love Jesus. If we love Jesus, we respond to persecution according to his commandments. Not according to a political party, but according to Jesus. Not according to whatever we feel but according to what Jesus says, right? So in other words, we have a guideline on how to respond, all right? What else do we have about love in this? He that hath kept my commandments and keepeth them, he is this that love me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and he will manifest himself to him. Again, love, love here is connected to the commandments, all right? Anything else? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Again, the love here is connected with obedience. Verse 20, uh, 24, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, but the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. All right. Anything else about love? Anything else? I think that's all of 14. Okay, of verse 31. Uh, but, he, uh, but that the world may know that I love, that, that I love, that, okay. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, even so I do arise, let us go hence. Again, the love there is still connected with a kind of a form of obedience. All right? Chapter 15. So what would we, do, what, what lessons would we learn about love in chapter 14? It's connected with obedience, which tells us that if we love Jesus, how do we respond to persecution? According to his word. All right? That's the main thing to, to draw from that. All right? 15. What do we have in chapter 15 in regards to the subject of love? Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. What's the key? What's, what would, how would we connect 15.9 to persecution? 
How would we connect subject of persecution to love in chapter 15, verse 9? Come on, very important word there. Starts with C. Continue in my love. When you're being persecuted, what do we continue to do? Continue in his love. Love as Christ has loved us. Love as Christ has loved us. When we're being persecuted, what do we do? Continue in the love of Christ. What do we do when we're persecuted? We continue in the love of Christ. This basic concept here. It's not easy to do. I don't want anyone to think that this is like, oh, it's so simple. It's not, it's, it's otherworldly. It's completely against anything that you would, everything in you doesn't say that. If someone walks up and punches you in the face, you don't respond by going, I love you. Okay, so this is, this is a, a, a radical concept. All right, anything else in chapter 15? Next verse. What does next verse say? All right, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Let me say it again. This is connected to the principle we've already given. When you're facing persecution, what do we do? According to his commandments, his commandments, his commandments, his commandments. Verse 12 repeats the concept. Right, and then verse 13 Greater love hath no man than this, that he layeth down his life for his friends. All right? Now, we, we, could, we, we could probably do something with that. He's kind of developing a bigger point here, okay? But it's demonstrating a sacrificial kind of love, right? a sacrificial kind of love, all right? Uh, Putin tried to uh, quote that verse to justify the attack in uh, Ukraine. Yeah. Putin, yeah. So, no, I, 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 I guess they're laying there their life to, I don't know, to rescue the Ukrainians from Nazis or whatever his new theory is that he's trying to do. But this just shows you people can, just shows people can use scripture to do anything with, which is just absolutely crazy. But all right, that's a whole different subject, okay. Um, anything else there about love? These things I command you that you love one another. We are being told again to do what? Love one another. Now this, we've already got the principle down already in other points, but again, what are we supposed to do when we're facing persecution? Love. Love. The command, think of it this way. The commandment to love does not change when experiencing persecution. Or you could write it this way. When experiencing persecution... The commandment to love remains intact. Very important principle that I think gets left out of these discussions. All right, is that everything in 15? All right, now it's chapter 16. What do we see in chapter 16 in regards to love? Anything in 16 in regards to love. I think the first time, it's it's over in the 20s, I think the first time the word shows up. Anything? 
Anybody see anything before verse 27? Is verse 27 a good place to go? For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and I and have believed that I came from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. All right? Anything else there? Nothing else specifically. Agreed? We could probably try to find something to make applicable, but that's all right. All right? So, hopefully you all took good notes. What is everything we learned in regards to love and persecution in John 13, 14, 15, and 16? Okay. Jesus loved his, loved his own in the world all the way to the end, including a betrayer and a denier. What does that teach us? To continue to love even those who may betray or deny or hurt or, or, or forsake us. All right, next. That he showed that love in a serving way. We are to serve even when being persecuted. Next. What else did we have? Okay. We are to love as Christ loved. So how, what do we do when we face persecution? We love with the same kind of love Christ has given us, which is a continual love, an everlasting love, a perfect love. All right, what else did we find? All right, love is connected to his commandments. So what does this teach us? When we face persecution, we respond to that persecution according to his commandments. All right, those are the basics, yes? Okay, uh, what was the other one? Yeah, in persecution, continue to love. 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 Those are basic principles that, that just get completely left out of the conversation. And I, and I don't understand why it gets left out of the conversation. I think the reason why is we almost see Christianity as a political movement who has political enemies, and then we respond to political enemies just like the world responds to its political enemies. That's where the church completely messed up. Right? So that's the first thing we were supposed to do. All right? What's the second thing we were supposed to do? The second assignment we had was to do this. All right? Look at John 13 through 16 and note anything that would re- relate to persecution. Now we're going to go back through John 13, 14, 15, and 16 and anything there that would relate to persecution. Everybody ready? John 13 through 16. Go back to John 13. All right. What do we have? Anything in John 13? Let's go from 1 through... Well, just you start. Anything that would relate to persecution. Verse 2. What do we have in verse 2? Okay, now this is important. What lesson could we learn from John 13 2, which demonstrates Satan entering into Judas? What's a possible lesson we could learn here? Thinking caps on. Do what? Okay. Okay. We could go there, but I think from the verse itself, 
A character, someone gets introduced into, into this concept, right? Ju- Satan is entering Judas, and Judas is going to betray Jesus, right? And do we see betrayal in this sense almost like a form of persecution? Because he's demonstrating a hatred for Jesus, right? Yes? All right, so who's entering in to do it? The devil. The devil. Okay. Did, did everyone forget Ephesians 6? What does Ephesians 6 say? Way before the armor thing. That's Peter. Okay, no. I believe it's Ephesians 6. Maybe I have the wrong chapter. I'm, believe, I'm pretty sure it's Ephesians 6. It, before the armor part, it's connected to the armor part. There's a reason we have to put on armor. Something about we fight not. There we go. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and air. Now, what is this important to know about persecution? That we have the persecution of those within the world, but that is simply a manifestation of a greater reality, which is a spiritual reality. We sometimes forget the spiritual reality and focus on the fleshly enemy. The fleshly enemy is not the issue, it's the spiritual enemy. So really what we have to do is perceive persecution as simply the outworking of a spiritual war. Does that make sense? And what is what is the what are you supposed to do in this war according to Ephesians 6? Does Ephesians 6 say get the right party voted into office? Does it say boycott Disney? Does it say cancel your Netflix account because you're being persecuted because they have a movie that makes fun of Jesus? Put on the whole armor of God, right? Fight a spiritual war. That's our focus. That's our focus. Christians seem to always get distracted and try to say, oh, we're being attacked. We've got to go do this. I would, I, would love to, I would love you to find one place in the New Testament where Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be persecuted, but that's the political party you need to get in office. Hey, what you need to do, this Roman government's really bad. Okay, you need to find how you can hurt them right there in the pocketbook, and you need to boycott, and you need to, you, you need to get a petition going, and we need to... None of that. None of that. And there's none of that anywhere in the Bible. Now, isn't it amazing that that doesn't appear any place in the Bible, yet it's the common go-to thing with an American Christianity? How, what happened? I think it's this, that we attempt to fight the war in a fleshly manner. We attempt, we attempt to fight in a fleshly way. Now, I can understand. We can be motivated to fight in a fleshly way, right? Does the world do things that we don't like as Christians? Yes. Do we get mad about it? Yes. Do sometimes, in certain situations, not in some situations, it's our own perceived threat. Like, if, if you go to Target and I don't say Merry Christmas, that's not persecution, everyone. Does everybody understand that? 
That's not persecution. If they won't call it a Christmas tree, they'll call it a holiday tree. That's not persecution. Does everyone understand? If they were to announce tomorrow that Christmas is no longer a federal holiday, that's not persecution. In fact, it would be the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of Christianity, okay? Uh, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. But it would, it would get away from looking at it from, as a secular holiday, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So, but, so, but when we have real things that happen, right? Real things that happen that are unsettling and bothersome and troubling, Yes, our first, our first response tends to be, what can we do in the flesh? Now, I'm, never say, I'm not saying that there's never a time to may have to take legal action to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's never a time to use the resources that are available to us. I'm not saying there's never a time. But our first thought should always be looking at it from a spiritual war perspective and that we should always do what? Love and serve even while being persecuted. Yeah, what would, what would Jesus do, kind of? Yeah, well, a lot of them were, and then we, for, we forget about it. Okay, but forming the moral majority like they did in the 70s to fight all of the perceived culture war issues, that, oh, it, it's just crazy. Or in the 80s, parents running around going, we've got to get a warning label on records because they say bad words. We've got to get a warning label. What, really? Christian parents that we're going to yell and scream about? I got to get a warning label? And guess what they did when they got the warning label on the records? Every teenager who walked, oh, warning label, need that, I need that album right there. Right? Thank you, mom and dad. You told me which one to buy. Sometimes Christians, the things we fight, it's like, what are you just doing? Like, what in the world are we upset about today? Right? It's just crazy. You know what? That's a good point. And maybe if we lived where we there was true, maybe if there was true persecution, we wouldn't be like, <gasps> Disney made a movie I don't like! <laughs> like. It'd be like, it's okay. Disney's not really required to make a movie that you like. I know it's a shock. <gasps> what? You're telling me that they, ha- they can make a movie that goes against Christianity? <gasps> who-, who let them do that? Okay, it's like, uh, and you do, and well, and not only that, I would want to say, you do realize if they made a Christian movie that 60% of Christians would then complain that it's not the right kind of Christianity and then condemn it, so it wouldn't matter anyway, right? So it's just weird how we, we, we get ourselves caught up into it. This demonstrates the issue with Judas, at least from what... Now, I understand the sovereignty of God. By no means am I rejecting the sovereignty of God here. But Satan is involved. Satan is involved. And we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against what? Principalities and powers. There's a spiritual war going on. We have to see the spiritual conflict. All right. What's the next thing about persecution in that chapter? We're in 13, right? All right. Well, then, can we say this? We have the betrayer in chapter 13, yes? All right, and what does that tell us about persecution? Sometimes it can come from someone nice and close to you, right? Can come from a fellow disciple. Can come from a, a professing Christian who will betray you and will stab you in the back. All right? 
Now, what, what, do we need, what do we need to, well, just, just I guess, I mean, remember, the, the lesson here is not about love. The lesson is about persecution. So the first lesson about persecution is there's a spiritual aspect to it, and we've got to see it from a spiritual aspect, not a fleshly aspect. Number two, that the betrayal, the persecution, can arise from those who profess to be Christians. Why is that important to be prepared for? Because I don't know about you, but when you first come into Christianity, you kind of have this image, right? Oh, you love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're not like the bad world. We won't hurt one another. I can trust you. You can trust me. It's all going to be great. And then the next thing you know, oh, what was that? What was, oh, man. Can someone get the knife out of my back? Right? We, we, sometimes we have, to be, we have to be prepared for it. I'm not saying be paranoid about it. Please note there's a difference between prepared and paranoid. Right? Just be prepared that it could come from within the body of Christ. Right? Next, what's another thing? We have the denier. We have the betrayal. We have the denier. All of this is connected to persecution, right? It's spiritual. It can come, and both cases teach us what? Betrayal or someone basically walking away from everyone in the time of great need can be a fellow believer. In Peter's case, it wasn't a professor, it was an actually believer. So I think we can see it this way. Sometimes we can be persecuted, right, by a false believer, and sometimes we may be, someone may abandon us in a time of need who is a true believer. Oh, and that we could be Peter. Yeah, yeah. We can be the one persecuting. We can be the one hurting. I think that's that's very important to note. Yes, that's a very important principle. All right, so there's persecution in 13. How about 14? Well, let's start in in 14.1. Fourteen one. Uh, what do we? How does that relate to persecution? That in per, that in persecution, persecution should not trouble us, because our focus is on Christ and what He has done. All right. So, in other words, this is this is. I know it's not directly. It's it's related to persecution because it immediately comes after all of the bad news about what's going to happen. Let not your heart be troubled. Your heart can't. In other words, this is why. Why should your heart not be troubled? when you experience persecution, maybe even from within the body of Christ. Because what the body of Christ does to you does not reflect Christ, it reflects them. Right? Yes? Because sometimes we connect what the body of Christ may do to us with Christ, and we can't do that. Because this really is pointing to persecution that would come from within the church. All right? Anything else here? About persecution. Anything in 14? All right. That the spirit... The Spirit is there to bring some kind of comfort in the midst of it. How that all works, we could have 900 hours of debate. I don't know how it works, but I know... 
The comforter is inside of us. Yes. Yeah, we would not be left comfortless. All right? So we are, we are given a comforter in the middle of persecution. The comforter is with us in the Holy Spirit. All right? Anything else about persecution? Yeah, we talked, we just gave that one. Yeah, we just gave the comforter. Yeah. All right. So we have the comforter. All right. Anything else? Something happens, I think, around verse 27. It's a scripture song we sing. Uh, we have peace. That we can, we can experience peace in the midst of persecution. Obviously, I think that's connected to the Holy Spirit, don't you? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That in the midst of persecution, we can experience peace, and it has to be connected to the presence of the Holy Spirit. What is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Peace. Yeah, so, so there's some kind of peace we can experience in the midst of persecution. Let not, and notice it says, let not your heart be troubled or afraid. How does chapter 14 verse 1 begin? Let not your heart be troubled. Here's all about in the midst of persecution, there can be comfort that comes from God and the things that he gives to us. There is comfort found in God. All right? Does that, is that helpful? All right? Anything else? All right, go to chapter... Mm, 1431, man. Oh, what could we do with 1431? What's interesting about 1431? Is that last phrase? Well, what last part of, four, of 31? Arise, let us go hence. How does the key, uh, new uh, NIV translate it? Okay, leave to go where? He's going to the garden where he's going to be arrested. In other words, he doesn't seem to be running from the persecution. He seems to be going right toward the will of God in the midst of coming persecution. I think this is possibly kind of a, it's kind of implied that even if we know persecution will happen, continue in the will of God. And the will of God is established where? God's word. I think because he's like, let's go hence. We know where they're headed, right? Judas has left, right? He's, he's, he, the Satan has entered in him. He's going to go get them because Judas knows where Jesus is about to go. And what did Jesus tell Judas before he left? Do it quickly. He knows, he knows exactly where he's going. He's walking right into where. In other words, the, the point here is, and, and I, again, I don't want us to think, and this is very important. I want you to hear the distinction. Everybody hear the distinction. I am not saying you run out in the middle of a highway to let a truck hit you. You don't go run into a situation to create a situation where you're like, persecute me! Right? You don't go create the situation. 
but you obey what God says, even if it means persecution. Do you see the difference? In other words, if God's word says, go stand in front of a train, okay, that's one thing, but God's word doesn't say, go stand in front of a train. God's word says, do this and this and this, and if that leads you to being in front of a train, that's different. Don't go run trying to force persecution. Don't go run trying to create a problem. Right? Use wisdom. Right? Use wisdom. I'll say it again. I know it's going to be controversial. 900 people are going to get mad at me on the internet. But I don't care because at some point it just becomes ridiculous. All right. So, a, and I know it's redundant. A global pandemic hits the world. Obviously, a pandemic by definition is global. But a global pandemic hits the world. Right? And as a result of this, well, there were rules being handed down. Yes? There were regulations, there were mandates being handed down. Whether you like them or don't like them, they were being handed down. And they were impacting whom? Everybody, right? They were impacting everybody, yes? Muslims, Christians, bars, strip clubs, casinos, concerts, wrestling events, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, everybody was being impacted. So it wasn't like, Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to announce we're going to pass mandates that's only going to affect Bible-believing Christians. That did not happen. And even one who said, now some people say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Walmart is open. Well, I hope you would be glad that it's open because you need things, yes? <laughs> okay? So it's like some people, so I'm like, so you want everything closed down? I mean, like, we've got to have some places to get supplies, right? That was always a weird argument to me. Okay, so you may not like it, Right? You may not like the rules. But in many cases, the rules went something like this. Here are some of the rules. Wear a mask, social distance, and limit the number of people within a church to about 25% of your capacity or maybe 50% of your capacity, depending on where you live. They did not say you couldn't have multiple services in a day. So guess what? Wear a mask. We'll limit the number to 25%, and we'll have three, four, five, six services, and then everyone in the church can attend, good to go. Is that, is that complicated? No. Many churches already have multiple services, right? Because they have large churches. So, but all of a sudden, Christians are like, how dare they? How dare they? That's crazy. They want, I, that's ungodly. The church should always meet together. Well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that in every service you have, everyone is present? Because I know even in a small church, we'll have some people here for Sunday school, and some people won't be, well, will not be in Sunday school, but be in the next service. Should I cancel all services like, until everyone shows up? We're not having church. You'd never have church. So guess what you could do? Do you have to like the mandate? No. But what, would it be easy to accomplish, uh, to uh, to fulfill that, to accommodate, yeah, that's the word. Wouldn't be that hard, right? Would everyone like it? Probably not. But we could accommodate it. So, what did many churches do? We're not going to follow one rule. No mask, no social distancing. We're not going to follow one rule. Because how dare you persecute us? I'm like, yeah, and they're also persecuting my wrestling events. They can't have anyone in the audience. Now, you see the difference between just 
Do you have to agree with it? No. You don't have to agree with it. Do you have to like it? No. But you see, there's a difference between saying, okay, what can we do? What can we do? What, what are our options here? Now, if they say you can't do anything, you've got to close completely down. All right, well, then you may say, okay, look, mayor, here's the situation. I don't feel I can do that. What can I do to at least try to accommodate what you're trying to do? In other words, try to work with them. Does there come a point in time where there's like, okay, no more, no, no, there's nothing we can do. But in many cases, Christians weren't willing to do anything and then looked at it as a badge of honor. Look how godly we are. That, you see the difference between persecution and then just trying to run directly to it. Does everyone understand the difference? Sometimes you're going to walk right into it, right? Sometimes you've got no choice. Like you're just walking on and you're like, oh, here it comes. You keep being obedient, even if persecution is waiting for you. Does that make sense to everyone? Does everybody see the, the, the slight difference there? There's a slight difference there. All right? All right? So, uh, so I, uh, someone's asking a question, but it's completely... I, I'll have to get back to that. For those listening, someone who's asking a question is still in John 13. So we, we, gotta, we have to move on. All right. So well, I'll get back to it as soon as I can. All right. Because we're trying to finish this. So does everyone understand when he says go forth, like they went forth, that it is true that we obey even if persecution is waiting. Everybody got that? But we don't do what? Try to create it. Try to just make ourselves the source, the, the target of persecution. Like, you've got to be wise, right? What does the Bible say about wisdom? Wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. There's, there's wisdom, and there's sometimes a way to do it. I just never understood why churches couldn't figure out, like, you could have 30 services a day. Right? You, could have a, you could have, they could have services Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They could have one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. But like, no, 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 no. How dare you tell me to do that? And I'm like, I, you don't want to find a solution. You want to be the victim so that you can be like, I'm standing against the evil government. And it just seems like a child throwing a temper tantrum, not Christians trying to be godly in the middle of a time. Like, what's more important? And this is what's crazy. People were dying in a pandemic and Christians were yelling or screaming about how many church services we could have. Do you see how utterly weird that looks? We're pro-life and we have to have another church service. We don't care how many people are dying. And you're like, I just don't know if that sounds Christian. Does that make sense? We lost our minds in it. And that just shows you a little bit of persecution, a little bit of, of difficulty. Just a little inconvenience, and Christians lose their minds. I mean, look, there, there, there was ways to work around it, right? There were ways to, was it going to be perfect? No, you still may end up in conflict with the government, but you could have done everything saying, please, we're trying our best here. Give, give us our options. We'll do whatever we can. But it wasn't, we're going to do whatever we can. I, I still, to this day, Early in the pandemic, I, I, will, I admire this pastor to no end. I, I think his theology is whacked out of his absolute mind, but was a pastor in Louisiana. He's standing out front, outside of his church. CNN's got their cameras in his face. And they're like, so why are you disobeying all the rules? And his exact words were, nobody shows up, nobody gives money. Nobody gives money, I can't pay the bills. 
So we're going to violate the rules because I need the money. You know what? I got nothing but I admire that. That's honest, right? He wouldn't try to play it off like, we're taking a stand for Jesus. It's like, if they don't show up, I don't have any money. Now, you could argue, well, those businesses down the street, <laughs> they don't have any money either, so what makes you special? <laughs> okay, what makes you special? Right? But, but I, at least I admired his honesty. He didn't try to come across with some sanctimonious, worst. Hebrew says, don't forsake the assembly. You know how many people in your church didn't show up last week? Isn't it amazing, amazing how everyone went from missing church to don't forsake the assembly in the middle of a pandemic. Now, when the pandemic is over, well, you know, if I'm busy on Sunday night, I'm not going to come to church. Isn't it weird how we went? All of a sudden, forsake not the assembly was the most important verse in the entire Bible. Prior to the pandemic, you would have 400 people on a Sunday morning, 200 on a Sunday night. What happened to the other 200 people? Oh, but that's okay. That doesn't count. It only counts in a pan- if the government says you can't have a Sunday night service. Then all of a sudden everybody loses their mind. You see how weird that... Which they never... Well, in some states, some states really put some hard restrictions, okay? I'm saying in our state, we really didn't have any restrictions. But in other states, they, you could still have a Sunday night. You just had to limit the number of people, right? You could still work around it, yes. So I, I will say that in every situation was slightly different. But okay, all right, so that's chapter 14, or that was the end of chapter 14. How about chapter 15? We're going to try to finish this, all right? All right, yeah, I think, do you see anything? Verses 1 through 17 is all about the vine and abiding, okay? So not necessarily specifically about persecution. All right, so let's go, go to 15, 18. Everybody ready? What can we learn about persecution? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. All right, so what are we, what's the first thing we can uh, understand from verse 18? I know I've given a lot of lessons about persecution. Hopefully someone's writing them down. It, it, when the world hates you, what does it indicate? Hatred of God. Please stay, hear that again. When the world hates us, it's an indication of their hatred for God. If we're being hated for the right reason and not we're just going out and doing dumb things, Okay. If you go kick your neighbor's dog, don't say, they hate Jesus. Okay, no. They hate you because you kicked their neighbor's dog. Okay? All right? (laughs) Sometimes Christians, you know, I got fired for my job because they hate Jesus. You got fired from your job because you're a lousy employee. Okay? That's why, okay, sometimes it has nothing to do with Jesus. Okay? Right? Next. If you're of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you of the world, therefore the world hateth you. First, the hatred of the world is an indication of hatred to God, and second, their hatred of you is because you're not of this world. Remember the, wor- remember the word that I sent unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept me my saying, they will keep yours also. What does this uh, indicate here? That we're not greater than Jesus, so we shouldn't expect a better treatment than Jesus. We're not better than Jesus, we should not expect a better treatment than Jesus received. Again, go back to the per- go again, again, go back to the pandemic. 
It was driving me crazy how Christians were acting. They were like, but, 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 Walmart's open and they won't let us be open the same way. I walk into Walmart and there's 500 people. It's not fair. Well, hey, calm down. Are you better than Jesus? No. So why do you expect to be treated better than Jesus? It's such ridiculousness the way Christians act sometimes. We should expect it. We're like, okay, well, you know, look, is anyone shocked that the world would not think church is essential? Is anyone shocked by that? Well, that could stop us anyway because of the online. Well, right. We're, so I don't understand. Well, well yeah, I, yeah, I don't understand all the craziness. But I'm saying well, we, we shouldn't be shocked that the world would be like, I don't think church is essential. Oh, how dare you say that? I can't believe it. They didn't think Jesus was very essential. They had him killed. Right? Now, again, I'm not saying that the attitude of the world is right. I'm just saying sometimes we just act like it's some like brand new invention that just popped out because a Democrat was elected. Okay? It's been going on forever. Right? It's been going on forever. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, next thing. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they, ha- they had not had sin, but, thou- but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated uh, both me and my father. Simply put, the world's sin is, is magnified because he does these works in front of them, yet they still hated him and rejected him. Please note, Jesus gets killed and hated for doing things like, I don't know, healing the sick and feeding people. I mean, like, you know, they hate him even for his good works. Yeah, but uh, this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law that they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Guess what? At times we're going to be hated without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, uh, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and he also shall bear witness, because you have done with me from the beginning. All right, we'll stop right there. We didn't get to chapter 16. All right, let's go through this. What are some of the lessons we learned about persecution in John 13, 14, and 15? Do what? It's a spiritual battle. Yeah, that's the first thing we have to focus on. When it happens, it's a spiritual battle that must be responded to in a spiritual way. That's the first thing we almost always understand. Second thing. It can come from a professing believer, or and I'm just going to connect the next one, or a believer. Right? In other words, persecution in some form or fashion. Or, or from me. Okay, or from me. All right? Next. Don't be troubled, but focus on Christ and what he has done for us. Next, we have comfort and peace from the Holy Spirit. Next, continue in God's will, even though you know it's coming, but what do we not do? Go try to create a situation where we generate persecution. You don't go run, you don't go just try to cause trouble to cause trouble, right? 
You know, in other words, don't go, don't go over and knock down the hornet's nest just to go knock it down just to, so that you can claim to be the big spiritual. It's just sometimes it's just crazy the things we do. All right? And then, is that it? The hatred of you indicates their hatred for God. And they hate you because you're not of this world. And we should not expect to be treated better than Jesus. All right? Now, I just got to do this really quick. All right, someone asked a question back in 13. I thought I'd answered it, but let me try to answer it one more time. All right, someone says, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will do, because I'm going to the Father. Was this to the disciples? Because it does not sound specific to just them. It, it refers to, in a sense, all of us, because we do a greater work, not in the greater type, but in a greater reach. Because Jesus traveled in a very small area, we take the work of Jesus and the preaching and proclamation of the word to where? Around the world. In other words, right here, right now, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, because of the internet, I'm, my voice is traveling to more countries than Jesus ever visited. So in that sense, it's a greater work. Does that make sense? Not greater in type, because I can't do the same things he did, but greater work in, the, in, the, in its expanse and its reach and that kind of thing. And then someone asked, are we to practice washing feet? I've already explained that. Um, We're we're not called, the the parable is not about washing feet. It's about the incarnation of Jesus coming to die and to serve others. What are we called to do? To serve others because the washing of feet would make absolutely no, have no significance. How would that be serving you if I grabbed a bowl of water right now and washed your feet? It'd be weird and awkward, but it wouldn't do much for you, right? It would be a good symbol. It would be humbling, but it wouldn't do much. The the key is, again, there's churches that do the little symbol of it, but it's just crazy. Like I said, they're washing the feet, and they'll walk out, and there's someone who actually needs something, and they'll just like, we'll pray for you. No, sir, it's about serving others. Serving others. The whole, it was a picture, it was a parable. It was a parable, all right? And the reason, why, again, why do we know it was a parable? Because Jesus says you don't know what I'm doing. Well, if he's just washing their feet, they would understand what he's doing, okay? That, that indicates clearly something else is going on. He's picturing the incarnation. And so in a sense, what are we to do? Serve others in the same way Jesus served us in a sacrificial loving way. Does that make sense? All right, good. All right, any other questions? All right. Uh, we didn't get to all the assignments, but for all those participating in the Bible study exercise, remember the next two assignments are, we've we got to look at John 16 to see anything it says about persecution. But look anywhere in the New Testament, note everything it says about persecution, or being persecuted, and they'll look everywhere in the New Testament about how to respond to persecution. All right? We took every, take care of everything in 13, 14, 15, and 16, and what, we're doing this not only because the Bible study curriculum says to do this, um, we're doing this because it's so relevant to a culture where Christians keep responding to persecution or perceive persecution in some of the most ungodly and crazy ways imaginable. And I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It's like every year Christians scream about the war on Christmas. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The war on Christmas? What? Are they coming to your church and not letting you celebrate the birth of Christ? 
Yeah, I mean, most churches are closed on Christmas, so it's it's not because the world closed you down. It's because you, but they're they're perceiving it. If we that won't say Merry Christmas, who cares? It's not their job. It's not. It's just so weird. Christians have this weird like entitlement that everyone is supposed to be giving us what we want. Our movies, they're supposed to do. They're supposed to give us everything we want. The world is not there to serve you. And, and let me let's make this very clear. Who is supposed to be serving whom? We're supposed to be serving them. <laughs> Not them serving us. And we're supposed to serve them even if they persecute us. Remember the whole thing Jesus said, if they compel you to go a mile? That's in a form of persecution. We think that means what? The Roman soldier could walk up to someone and say, here you go. You've got to carry my gear a mile. And what does Jesus tell Bobby to do? Carry it too. Do you think Bobby wants to carry it too? That's a Roman soldier. That's the people who have control over you. You probably, and in and, and your heart, hate him. You're supposed to serve him. It would be weird if Christians responded persecution in our culture that way. Man, it'd be, it'd be crazy. But, you know, we're running to school board meetings, screaming our heads off about some, you know, academic theory that we know very little about. And it's like, can we all calm down? There's a way to conduct ourselves. It's supposed to be love and service. That's why I made love the first priority, because until we get that right, we'll never respond to persecution until we understand God's love for us. Because God loves me, and in a roundabout way, I persecute him every day, because everything I do is an affront to him. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Very important subject in 2022. I think it'll be a very important subject moving into the midterm elections and then definitely in 2024 when we get back to a general election and everything becomes political, divided, hatred. Please let us rise above all of that and just try to think things through and figure out what's the biblical way to handle perceived persecution or actual persecution. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said...